As G.K. Chesterton said, a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. Here on Swimming Upstream, we go against the cultural stream by championing life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. Your host is Eric Sammons, author of seven books, including Holiness for Everyone, The Old Evangelization, and Bitcoin Basics. Now let's get swimming. Welcome to episode 95 of Swimming Upstream. I'm Eric Sammons. Today I'm going to tackle a subject I haven't talked about in a long time on these podcasts. In fact, I was looking through my uh, notes and I saw the last time I addressed uh, cryptocurrency or Bitcoin uh, was episode 41 all the way back in November of 2017. And a lot has happened, or actually probably more accurately, a lot has not happened in the cryptocurrency world since then. So I thought I would address that in this episode. Just give kind of a state of the union for cryptocurrency in general. Now, I know a lot of my listeners aren't experts in cryptocurrency or Bitcoin or technology or anything like that. But I find it a fascinating subject. And the theme of this podcast has always been I talk about whatever I feel like talking about. So I thought I'd talk about that today and hopefully give some education for those who do have interest. I'm always surprised. A lot of times I'll have... Uh, Catholics who, who listen to this podcast will bring up the fact that I talk about Bitcoin and write about it and, and cryptocurrency and things like that as something interesting. It's got them interested in it as well. And sometimes they're not so happy about that, depending on what the price of Bitcoin is recently. So before we really get started into the details of what's going on in cryptocurrency right now, let me just have a quick review of what cryptocurrency is, what I'm talking about. Of course, the most well-known and famous of all the cryptocurrencies is Bitcoin. And in fact, I would wager that for the average person, Bitcoin might be the only one, only cryptocurrencies they've even heard of. But in fact, there are many cryptocurrencies out there. There's Bitcoin, of course. There's uh, some derivatives of Bitcoin, like Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Gold. I don't even know if that one's still around or not. Uh, you also have other cryptocurrencies that are very similar to Bitcoin, crypto, uh, very similar to Bitcoin, like Litecoin, uh, Dash, some others like that. And then you have some cryptocurrencies that aren't even trying to really be currencies, like Ethereum and things like that. So what am I talking about here? Well, originally, Bitcoin was the only cryptocurrency. It's the first one. Uh, that successfully was able to be one. And basically, it was initially a way to transfer value between two people in a trustless, decentralized way. What do I mean by that? Well, let's say I want to send uh, $50 to a friend of mine who's living in China right now. What is the best way to do that? Well, there's different ways you could do it. You could put $50 uh, in an envelope, in cash, in an envelope, and mail it to them. Of course, there's problems with that. It could be stolen on the way. It could be lost. The Chinese government could decide to confiscate it. In fact, it might even be legal to do that. You could use a trusted third party like Western Union to wire that money to him. You could potentially use PayPal, another trusted third party, to send him the money. So the point is, though, and no matter how I do it, there's, there's a problem here in that I'm using a third party that I have to trust. Even when I send cash by mail, I'm trusting the post office. I'm also trusting that we both value the third party of the U.S. government, that that cash has value. 
And so, but I'm depending on a third party to make that transfer of value happen. What Bitcoin does is it, it gets rid of the middleman. There is no third party when it comes to uh, sending value. So I could send $50 worth of Bitcoin to my friend in China. And to do that, I don't have to trust anybody. He doesn't have to trust me. I don't have to trust him. And we don't have to trust a third party. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. Isn't Bitcoin itself a third party? Well, yes and no. It's a third party in the sense that it's, a, uh, it's something that both parties are using that's not either of them. But it's decentralized. There's nobody who owns Bitcoin. There's nobody who runs Bitcoin. The bank can't say, you know, the Bitcoin bank, so to speak, can't say, well, no, we're not going to allow that transaction to happen. We see, by the way, the problem with third parties in some of the cases that have happened recently where controversial people like Alex Jones or Robert Spencer, who speaks against Islam, where they, their accounts at various third parties like a PayPal or Patreon or something like that have been shut down because their speech was not uh, something that the, that the third party agreed with. And so they didn't allow them to transfer value anymore. Well, Bitcoin gets rid of that. There is nobody who can say, no, you can't transfer this money, uh, this value uh, between the two parties using Bitcoin. And so really, the initial use case for Bitcoin, and therefore cryptocurrency in general, was as a replacement for money. A lot of times people compare it to both digital gold and digital cash. Digital gold in the sense that it, it maintained value. It was a store of value like gold is. that You hold it and it, it, it maintains its value. But digital cash as well in that you could transfer money between two people easily just like cash. You didn't need a credit card or a third party to do that, a bank to do that. However, over time, the use cases of Bitcoin, of cryptocurrency I should say, expanded into any and all functions that you can all different transactions you could do and they all use the same underlying technology which you know often is called blockchain technology i'm not going to get into the weeds of the details of how that works but the essential point is that blockchain technology is what is the underlying te technology that drives bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and it's a decentral it's, it's essentially a decentralized database it's a database that's copied through in, on many computers throughout the world. Anybody can, can host this database. And the protocol of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency basically makes sure that those, those databases are in sync and that they're, that they're all saying the same, they're all storing the same information in the same way. And people started to realize, well, you can, that, that could be useful for something even more than just uh, money. It could be for you know, recording real estate transactions. It could be for recording various information that databases, centralized databases now record. We could do this in a decentralized way. And so, that, so cryptocurrency became more than just a currency. So really the term cryptocurrency is a little bit misleading now. And it, it became more of just another way in which you can do technology. Now, now that I've given that basic primer, let me look at a little bit, before we talk about the state of cryptocurrency today, let's look at how the history of it. Cryptocurrency is now uh, 10 years old, basically. It was Bitcoin started in 2009. And for the first about four years, from 2009 to about 2013, it was basically nerd world. It was a hobby for uh, tech and libertarian geeks. 
it was it was just a way that people were certain people were like, hey, let's try this out. Let's see if we can do this. And most people who were interested in it were interested for one of two reasons. Either the technology, they thought the technology was really cool. Like, hey, wow, we can actually solve this problem of having a trusted, uh, uh, having a, a trustless system of transferring value. So the tech was really cool. But then also people were also interested in it for the social reasons, and, and libertarians in particular are very interested in it, because it removed the number one middleman, the number one third party in our world, which is government. It removed them from the money equation. No longer did we need to get approval from the government to transfer value, and more importantly, no longer could the government change how uh, money supply and therefore devalue money. And so that was very attractive to both tech people and libertarian people. Now, me being both of those, I'm both interested in technology and I'm interested in libertarianism. I'm a geek on both sides. Of course, I was interested in it, but I didn't really get involved myself until near the end of that cycle, that, the nerd world cycle, I'll call it, 2009, 2013. It was in 2013 I first really embraced uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general. What happened then was 2014 to 2017, the next uh, you know, four years, basically that was a time of incredible hype and growth in which all of a sudden we started seeing Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies used in real world situations. No longer was it just the hobby of tech and libertarian geeks, but now we saw it in real business cases. For example, the, the most classic example is overstock.com who's run by a uh, libertarian, Patrick Byrne, and he was, he, he allowed, uh, he had Overstock.com accept Bitcoin for, for payment, and that was a huge deal. And then it would seem like every week, I was, I was following Bitcoin very closely in 2014, it seemed like every week there was a new company saying, okay, now we're accepting Bitcoin. Microsoft even got into the game and started accepting Bitcoin in certain situations. And it seemed like we were just, Weeks away from Bitcoin taking over the world and replacing credit cards as, as the main method of electronic payments, that it would become the, the, the standard for, for online commerce and maybe even beyond online to bricks and mortar as well. And so we saw this growing hype, and that was reflected in the fact that the, the price at the end of 2017 of one Bitcoin was, I think it was like $19,000, something incredibly high. Whereas in 2013, beginning into the middle of 2013, it was like 50 bucks, 100 bucks, something like that. So we saw this incredible. Now, it wasn't a straight up shot. In fact, there was a huge downturn. There was a big hype at the end of 2013 where it went up to $1,000 and then it crashed back down to 180 over the next I think, 16 months, something like that. But then it started kicking back up. So the point, though, even when the price was going down, there was still hype was building. And it seemed like cryptocurrency was the wave of the future, blockchain technology, even people who weren't interested in the kind of libertarian reasons for uh, replacing money with Bitcoin were very interested in cryptocurrency and what it could do. Now, during that time, there was also an incredible amount of dysfunction and, uh, and, and uh, battles between those who uh, advocate for cryptocurrency. Bitcoin itself split uh, there's a huge debate within the Bitcoin world I've talked about in previous episodes where it, it split into Bitcoin Cash and then that split again. There's this incredible uh, disruption 
internally. And that led to the rise of altcoins. And altcoins are basically uh, other cryptocurrencies other than Bitcoin. And so you saw, for example, Litecoin was one of them. Dash was another one. Ethereum came along. And you saw all these different uh, altcoins start to gain ascendancy during this time as well with the troubles that happened with Bitcoin. Another thing during this phase of, from 2014 to 2017 is we saw that people started to think of, let's use this, like, and I mentioned this already, let's use this underlying technology, blockchain technology, for other applications other than money. Really, it wasn't until 2014 that, I mean, I know people were looking into it before that, that really started to come into its own. And the number one uh, project that, that advocated for that is Ethereum. Ethereum was, the idea of Ethereum, behind Ethereum is it's not trying to be a replacement for money. Instead, it's trying to be a world computer that would allow people to do things they already do, but in a decentralized fashion. And so it could record contracts. It could uh, allow people to interact in, in, in websites to, to use uh, underlying Ethereum technology for, for various reasons, e-commerce, things like, of that nature. And that became also a big part of hype. That even those who weren't willing to say that Bitcoin was the future of money were saying, well, but blockchain technology is the future of technology. Then 2018 hit. So now we're at the third, what I call the third phase. And this would be, I, I think you could call it the crypto winter, in which all of a sudden reality kicked in. That people started to see that, wait a second. We're not, it's not tomorrow that we're going to see, even if blockchain technology is going to take over the world, it ain't happening tomorrow. In fact, it could be a long slog, a hard slog, before we really see any of these technologies really become truly used in, in the world. Because let's be honest, by 2017, even though the price of Bitcoin had skyrocketed and the price of altcoins had skyrocketed, cryptocurrencies were not being used in any real way in the world. And so it was all hype at this point. Yes, it had potential, but all those prices were 100% based on potential and potential only. And so after 2000, starting in 2018, people started to realize this potential, is it really what we think it is? Is it really going to happen? If it does happen, it, it might not be for a long time. And so we saw that this reflected in the price of, of cryptocurrencies. All of them took a nosedive. So Bitcoin right now is about 3,600, I think, as I'm recording this. So that's down from that high of 19,000 it hit at one point. I think it was in December 2017. And all cryptocurrencies across the board went down considerably. I think Ethereum went over 1,000. It's now around 100. Dash was around 1,500. It's high. Now it's around 80. Uh, Litecoin took a big uh, uh, downturn as well. All of them took a big downturn. So now that we're in, and I'd say we're still in the crypto winter. So we're still in phase three, I would call it, of, of cryptocurrency. So what holds the future? What, what do we see, what do I see at least happening in the future of cryptocurrency? I think if we're being honest, I think we have to admit cryptocurrency is still a solution looking for a problem. What do I mean by that? What I mean is it seems really cool how cryptocurrency works, and it seems like a solution to a problem. We're just not sure what the problem is yet. I think personally that the, the number one problem it can still solve is the problem of money. And I do think there is a problem with money, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I still think that's it. But all these other applications, I'm not quite sure we have a problem that we need to be solved by blockchain technology yet. 
And also what we found is there's lots and lots of roadblocks to integrating blockchain technology in our society. Because number one, it's a radically different way of doing things. And that takes, that takes time for people to just get their head around it and to embrace it. So I think that's a big roadblock. There's, there's technical problems, just making it work in an efficient way that's better than under that existing technologies. Legal problems, this has been a big problem in that uh, governments have not been too keen on embracing this because it eliminates them from a lot of jobs. You don't need them for money. You don't need them necessarily even for contracts between two people. They don't need to approve sales of, of uh, real estate, for example, things like that, because it'll all be embedded on a blockchain. There's also social problems. Just people have just not trusted Bitcoin and blockchain technology, I think because somewhat because of its, its roots as a libertarian kind of uh, even um, anarchist project. And people aren't will, you know, people trust authority. Uh, as much as we try to act like we're anti authoritarian, people trust authority. And so the fact that Bitcoin doesn't seem to have an authority, uh, neither does any cryptocurrency, that is problematic to a lot of people. And so it makes it, people slow to embrace it. So what do I see as its future? I still think that there is the promise of, of cryptocurrency becoming a standard um, of money. Maybe not the standard, but a standard that's used in various places. I think personally it's probably going to be mostly in pockets where the current money system doesn't work. And so, for example, in the first world, in America, in the West, in Europe, places like that, Money works fine for most people. Now, I could go into a long diatribe about how money really isn't working because of inflation caused by inflation of the money, uh, money supply and, and control and things like that and how third parties like PayPal and those can control who uses their services. I'm not going to go into that now because for the average American, the average European, it's the average person in Canada, places like that, they can use money fine. They don't really have any problem with it. And so they don't really have a desire to replace the current money system. However, I would say the developing world, there are pockets where money doesn't work. I mean, I think you'd look no further than Venezuela to see that. That they have a system that just, the, the government has completely destroyed their money system, and so th therefore money doesn't work. And it's there we see the promise, the promise of cryptocurrency. Uh, one cryptocurrency in particular, Dash, which is, uh, you might already know this, is my favorite of all the cryptocurrencies. It has really made a huge effort to try to uh, make inroads in Venezuela. In fact, there's over, I think it's over 2,500 merchants now in Venezuela that accept Dash as payment, uh, everything from a subway to a church's chicken to um, Papa John's, different uh, large organizations and also smaller uh, businesses accept Dash as for payment. And so that's huge. I mean, that's, that's way more than accepted in, in, in America, and it's way more than any other cryptocurrencies accepted anywhere else in the world. I think one reason it's grown there is because there's a real need for a, an alternative to the, 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 the government solution to money. So I do still think that money is a, a viable use case for cryptocurrency. I think what we found, though, is it's going to be a long, hard path to become a usable uh, form of money for a lot of people. There's just the whole there's the chicken and the egg problem. 
okay, a merchant wants to accept it, but if no users are using it, why should they accept it? Well, why would a user want to use it, a consumer want to use it, if no merchants are accepting it? So which comes first, the chicken or the egg, the merchant or the consumer? And that's, that's a real battle. How do you get into the hands of people? So even if you've got merchants signing up, like in Venezuela, they have merchants signing up to, to accept it, but how many people actually own Dash? So how do you get it into the hands of people? And the one way they're trying to do that is through remittances. In, uh, that's a big form of people gain, uh, income in Venezuela is people sending money, family members sending money from outside the country to them, remittances. So if you could do that in Dash, that gets Dash in the hands of regular people who then can use it to those merchants. But that's a long, hard work to make that happen. And so there's really a lot of these challenges. Uh, there's also just technical challenges of making uh, cryptocurrency something that can be used in day-to-day -day life at the store. That's where Dash is really, uh, it, it, it shines because it's focused on that. Whereas Bitcoin, it's had all types of problems over the years becoming a way that the average person can use it at the store, for example. Or even use it online for that case. There's lots of problems and just it's not user friendly. And it has technical problems of not being a, a scalability. Not if too many people use it, it costs too much. It's too slow. Things like that. So I do think it can be used for money, but I think there are many challenges. That I, so I personally think it's going to be years before we see even if cryptocurrency takes off like I think it could. It's going to be years before we see it used on a regular basis by regular people. I mean, possibly even more than a decade. Now, what about the other use cases you know, outside of money? Personally, I'm, I'm less hopeful about this because often blockchain technology is just a less efficient database. It's just a less efficient way to do things. That in a lot of cases, there's no problem with a centralized authority. I know people who are really into cryptocurrency like me, we often chant decentralization like it's some magic word that just is a solution to everything. But the fact is there are times where centralization is, is fine. There's nothing wrong with it, especially in small uh, use cases. And people don't have a problem with centralization. For example, even in something like money, People don't want to be responsible for their own security. And so trusting a third party for that security can, can be an easier way, a better way to do things. I think really we kind of hopefully have gotten out of the silly season in which people were proposing to use blockchain technology for everything under the sun when it really was stupid to use it in a lot of cases. I think we've realized that's the case. And so I'm still waiting for that 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 use case that's really going to make cryptocurrency take off outside of money. And I don't see anything right now that's, that's making that happen, but perhaps it will be. So I'm, I'm definitely more pessimistic about the use of blockchain technology for things outside of money. So I think personally, let me just wrap it up here. I think personally the state of cryptocurrency is, is a good one because I think what we've done is we've gone beyond the hype now and now it's just a lot of people working hard to try to make cryptocurrency blockchain technology work in various fields and what we'll find is the one that's the most useful is the one that's going to that's going to be accepted so for example if it's money then that that's the best use case for blockchain technology then it's going to be the cryptocurrency that focuses on its use as money, which would be uh, Dash or Bitcoin Cash, the, the, a cryptocurrency like that that's going to succeed. If it's more of a use case for something beyond money, something else, and something like Ethereum or an offshoot of Ethereum or somebody who uses Ethereum as a base, those projects are going to succeed. So I do believe that 
it's good what's happened because I think we've the crypto winner we're in, so so to speak, because it it tempers our expectations. We realize that it's not magic. It's not like blockchain technology is always going to magically transform the world tomorrow and make it all you know roses and petal, rose petals and and unicorns and things like that. Instead, we see it's going to have to go through the same type of uh, overcome the same type of challenges any new technology, any new uh, way of doing things has to overcome. So I'm still bullish in general on the idea of cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, but I will admit that my my optimism is a little more tempered, a little more realistic than it might have been four years ago or five years ago. So one final thought is. People always, when we bring up Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, people always ask me, do you think I should buy some? And so, if so, how much, which I do. I've never looked at cryptocurrency as an investment, as, as like a stock or something like that. I've looked at it more from the angle of a technology and a social experiment. And I've always wanted to see how it could, could transform the world, to be honest. I haven't looked at it as a way, okay, can I get rich off of this? So I never recommend people to invest in it except for with what they can afford to lose completely. It could all go under tomorrow, and I've always thought that. So if you have a little bit of extra money, you just feel like having fun with it, let's say you have 100 bucks that you know you can stand to lose if you lost it all, go ahead, put 100 bucks into some cryptocurrency. I'll let you decide which one to do it in. Uh, but you know, don't, I, I personally would not put money in that I couldn't afford to lose completely. So that's my, my disclaimer. So don't blame me, which I actually had happened to me when the price of Bitcoin started going down. People started blaming me for recommending it, supposedly, even though I didn't. Okay, anyway, so just, you know, be mature adults, basically, is the, the uh, underlying point of that. Well, that's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. A little bit of a different topic that I haven't talked about in a, in a while. I hope that you would subscribe to my podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you... you uh, listen to your podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric R. Sammons. That's at Eric R. Sammons. I, I tweet about whatever I feel like tweeting about, just kind of like this podcast. Uh, or you can follow me on Facebook. I have a public page. It's Eric Sammons Swimming Upstream. Well, thank you for listening to the uh, Swimming Upstream podcast. Until next time, keep swimming against the stream.